We began this year uh, talking on some things that are very important to us, including uh, we desire to be a church and a people that's about pointing all people to a passionate pursuit of the radiant God. We talked about how some things we value. Uh, we value intensely vertical, foundationally scriptural, deeply relational, genuinely authentic. We value that. We desire out of that that worshipers would increasingly be bringing glory to God. That disciples would be intentionally deepening their walk with Christ. And that God's people would be pouring out the gospel in their lives in our communities. And we also talked about how we have a desire to permeate the west side of Indianapolis with the hope of the gospel unlike we've ever seen before. Oh God, might that take place? We talked about that in January. And from there, we led into what I would really say, uh, termed a base camp year. This is a unique year. I'm telling you, even for me doing sermon prep, this is such a unique year. Honestly, on the table, it takes me more work <laughs> preparing for uh, even these systematic theology kind of studies that we're doing. We had uh, five months where we spent talking about growing forward, about deepening our walk with Christ. What does it look like to be growing and changing in Christ? Because if we're not that, if we're not living at that as those kinds of people, then, then really let's pack up our bags and go home. Uh, because that's what we need to be. And so we spent the time on that, what it looks like to growing deeper in Christ. And then we're in this Sent Forward series right now that's really uh, talking about how it's not only deep in Christ. Hey, disciples in Christ, it's not only deep in Christ because that actually can get crazy selfish where it gets all about me, 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 me. But the gospel is not only about us growing deeper in Christ, but it's also about us going out for Christ and it overflowing out of that. And in the Sent Forward series, we've been talking about that. And this series right now really is, I'm in this place of, I'm wanting to be very practical for us on what does it look like to be people that are sent forward in our schools, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our homes with that. And we're orienting ourselves around that. So last Sunday was disciples make by preparing. I talked about disciples make by preparing ourselves. It starts here. It starts at the place of really asking the question, do I, do you want to be someone in Christ who seriously and sincerely wants to be someone who's having an impact on others around us? And, and if, if we're not answering that question, then we're really just playing a game. But do we want to? And the call is, yes, we do. That's what I desire and we desire to have happen. And then out of that, right now, this uh, Sunday, today, this is about disciples make not only by preparing, but disciples make by planting. This is the getting at it. What does it look like to begin planting seeds of the gospel around us in that? Now, when I have a conversation about that, I think when I open that subject of the whole idea of what does it look like to begin sharing our faith, I think two things either pop into our head. One, we think of a class where we're taught about this system, that system, this system, that system. And that kind of compiles along with another thing that I would say, I think in generally, we think of sharing our faith with others as a whack-a-mole reality. You know, whack-a-mole, the arcade game, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, you put the quarter, I'm going back. I don't know what you put in anymore. 
Uh, You put it in there and the bowl pops up and you got the thing and you whack it down. The the interesting thing about it, it's kind of an exciting game, but there's also a part of it where you're you're on your heels. You're waiting for things. You don't, you kind of, you're reacting rather than being intentional. And on that, you also are kind of surprised rather than being assured. And I think God's people on the whole, when it comes to the talk about sharing our faith with others, we end up inside of have a bit of a freak out moment because we kind of view it as a whack-a-mole moment where it's a bit nervous with what's going on. And I want to say this, uh, we can read the gospels and we can see Jesus's life and kind of think that Jesus led a whack-a-mole life. Like things just randomly popped up and they're going and he's always responding to them. I want to take some minutes here. And if you would open your Bibles to the gospel of John, the gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Uh, first chapter, we'll start there. And I want for us just to kind of uh, follow some things. There's, a, there's a, a sense at times where we can think that Jesus's life was a bit of a whack-a-mole life, uh, where he's always responding, kind of always on the, his heels, and things just happen, and he's just making it up as it goes. I want to try and show you connections here that I don't think that is the case on what's going on. Yes, life happens, things are taking place, but Jesus is always on the intentional side, the loving, intentional movement of it. I think Jesus grabs a hold of items of life and takes them into gospel opportunities in life rather than reacting to it all. Well, let me try and show that to us here for a bit. For a bit. Uh, it's not whack-a-mole living, it's intentional loving living. Uh, John chapter one, we'll start there. Uh, I'm actually going to do the first 10 chapters here. So big, big picture. All right. John chapter one, it begins with, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. I believe it's verse 14 that tells us, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's this amazing opening to the gospel of John uh, that talks about the word and that word is Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity that came boots on the ground to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And it kind of gives us this conceptual conversation on the table. And then it's all of a sudden jump in. We come to John the baptizer is on the scene. Uh, John is there, and all of a sudden he points out, um, uh, behold, uh, the Lamb of God, verse 29, uh, who takes away the sin of the world. Man, what an opening to a book. It's like, it's kind of like the introductions are moving like in the Star Wars things. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word came and dwelt among us. And then the opening scene is John the baptizer, and all of a sudden Jesus is walking, he's like, there, behold, there's the Lamb of God. And then after that, in John chapter 1, Jesus is going and he's beginning to gather his disciples. You get to the end of John chapter 1, and my point is, it's like, bam, here we go. The engine has been started, the scene has been set, let's see what happens from here. So let's see what happens from here. John chapter 2. We have the very first kind of event, ministry event, that shows up in John, and it's a wedding at Cana. Cana's in Galilee. Galilee is the northern region up by the Sea of Galilee. We have the wedding at Cana. What happens at this wedding? At this wedding, uh, they had wine in that day that would be used during the wedding time. And in that, uh, all of a sudden they ran out of wine. And so uh, Jesus is there and Jesus turns what to wine? 
water to wine. He performs a miracle there. It's like, bam on this. By the way, uh, in all that scene, it's not like Jesus goes out and announces. It's not like he steps out onto the scene of, of, of the wedding and he's like, okay, everybody, everybody take a look. You see water. I'm going to make it wine. Hocus pocus. Boom. It's not that. It's actually quite quiet. And Jesus takes a hold of this moment uh, to do a miracle, to start ministry off with what's going on. I would say it this way, to love on people. That's what he's doing. He's not trying to make a big bam about himself. If you follow through the event, he's just loving on people that have a situation on their hands. Now, note this. Go to John chapter 4. There's another situation that happens in Cana. In Cana, an official's son is ill. Jesus is back in Cana. He goes to Jerusalem. He comes back to Cana. And it's a, it's a bit of time. And this official son goes to Jesus and asks Jesus, would you heal my ill son? Question, why did he go to Jesus to ask to heal his son? How does he know that Jesus might be someone to do that? I would say this, it could be conversation that's going around, but I think no, without a question, that wedding, word was traveling. And at that wedding, the turning the water to wine became an event that uh, sometime later, I don't know how long, weeks, a couple months came along. And all of a sudden this official son, listen, the, the preparing, the planting at that event becomes a preparing planting later on. Let's go back to John chapter two and see some more connections. Verse 13, it's Passover. It's Passover in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus uh, goes and he does a turnover work, literally. He turns the tables over. He has a conversation that's there about, listen, you are not talking about worship here. This is not living a place of worship. This is turning into a carnival. And he raises a ruckus. And we think, okay, that's an interesting event. Well, we forget that those chapter breaks and sometimes the words that we have that tell us the next thing or the, or the movements in the chapter. Look what goes on. John chapter three. What's the next event that happens? It's in Jerusalem, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Nicodemus comes and has a conversation with Jesus, kind of saying like, who are you and what's going on? Question, why would Nicodemus be asking that of Jesus? Why would Nicodemus be coming to Jesus? Answer, because he just turned tables over and he's caught attention of people. One event leads to the other event. The turning over leads to a conversation. By the way, in that conversation with Nicodemus contains two crazy important statements. A statement that we know about today, you must be born again. Nicodemus is like, how can I be that? Oh, by the way, do you know that John 3.16 is Jesus talking to Nicodemus? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever uh, believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That field goal verse that we see in football stadiums and such. That's a conversation with Nicodemus that comes out of this. There's connections. Let's keep going. Uh, John chapter five, we'll come to John four later in that whole setting uh, a bit later. Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath in Jerusalem. What does it lead to? It leads to a lengthy gospel conversation. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, believes him who sent me, has eternal life. The healing event provided the opportunity for a conversation. 
And the pattern continues. John chapter 6, feeding of the 5,000. By the way, that's feeding 5,000 men. So there's probably 15 to 20,000 people at this. You look in John chapter 6, verse 5. Jesus is back in Galilee. And Jesus asked Philip, one of the disciples, Hey, Philip, uh, is there somewhere we can get bread? Can you just imagine Philip's head when he's like, there's 15, 20,000 people. He's, he's like, there ain't no Costco. Right? Like, are you kidding me? I would say Jesus here is tilling in his mind with the situation at hand. So Philip's like, ah, I got no answer for you. So Jesus, he knew what he was going to do. So he goes he, and he takes, he takes the, the fish and feeds that to him. And then what else does he feed all the people? Fish and bread. Okay. Uh, Philip, do you have bread? Can you find bread? Uh, so he feeds them fish and bread. Oh, by the way, uh, that's event standalone? No. We forget to continue on in the reading. The very group that was a part of that whole fish and bread eating event and the teaching event that's going on, they're following Jesus. You can follow it in the text. The very next day, they're on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. This crowd is stalking Jesus, whether they're hungry again or whether they're wanting to learn again. We don't know their motives, but they're stalking after Jesus. And Jesus comes around and he has those people. And what is the conversation he has with those people that were just fed fish and what? He has the conversation. I am the bread of life. Listen, you cannot tell me that all of this is not connected. And when we read Jesus's life, we just kind of think whack-a-mole. It's just like random, but these things are connected. A, a couple more. He's teaching in the temple area, John chapter 8. The scribes and the Pharisees, while he's teaching, brings up a woman caught in adultery. Uh, not the guy, just the woman. <laughs> what a scam. Brings the woman to, to put before him, what do we do? Oh, they're trying to corner him. They're trying to position him. They're trying strategically to put him in an awkward position that'll make him look, well, theologically dumb, right? And in this, and what does he do? Irritated, annoyed by it? He views this whole situation as another opportunity to be able to have a conversation with these people and this woman. It includes even a conversation with her you are no longer condemned. I mean, can you imagine that? And neither do I condemn you. Man, that is life-giving words to that woman in that situation. And then in it also, he then says, and my, what I might say, this very dark situation that's going on. And he says, I am the light of the world. He's harnessing, he's grabbing a hold of these opportunities. One more, John chapter 9. Jesus is in the suburbs of Jerusalem. He heals a man blind since birth. He lovingly, intentionally has this act of healing this guy. And then what happens next? John chapter 10. Jesus has a gospel conversation that includes truly, I am the door and my sheep know me. They call me by name. What are we seeing here? I think there is a hope that is presented in the gospel that we far too often do not see. I think we walk away oftentimes reading the gospels and thinking that Jesus is just like random, 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 random. 
And then when we talk about sharing our faith with people, we think random, 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 random. It's not that. I said, I think Jesus was crazy strategic, very intentional, very loving. Follow me here. Let me try and illustrate this. Uh, this is a small rake. Man, does that not look like... Whew. Um, it's for tilling the soil. What happens here? Jesus is in Galilee. I'm going to call this Galilee. Uh, here's Samaria. Down there is Judea. This is all, this is north. Um, but follow me. He's in Galilee, and I would suggest he's tilling the soil to plant the seed of good news about him. How does he do that? He's in a situation where there's, they run out of wine. What's this opportunity? Mom helps them along a little bit. Mary, hey, we have an opportunity here to love. Can you do something about this? I can. And he, I would say, tills the soil of the people on what's going on there for him to be able to plant this, this loving, kind deed to them that allows them to be able to see the love of Christ. What happens next? Jesus actually comes down into Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem and he turns over the tables. He turns the tables over in the temple and out of that has a conversation with the people. He's turning the soil, which was very hard soil, I might say, in it all. He's turning their tables over and in all of that, he's planting a, a, a seed of what takes place with who he is. Oh, then what happens? Then we find out after turning the tables, what takes place? He had that evening, Nicodemus comes to him and Nicodemus has this question coming out of that one. And out of that one, Nicodemus is asking him some things and the Lord is able to, you must be born again. Oh, and then what happens after that? After that, Jesus is back up. I'm gonna grab my basket here back up to Galilee, and he uh, has a situation where this official asks him, will you heal my son? I think that opportunity is connected to the one that's right there, and he's tilling the soil up, and he heals the son. Doug, those aren't seeds, those are potatoes. I know that. But you got the picture, th this movement. Then after he's, he does that, he actually comes back here on the Sabbath, and he does this teaching here, and he's able to, I miss my seeds, and he's able to plant more seed with what's going on here. Oh, by the way, then he's back in Galilee, and he has, I'm getting tired, and he has 15,000, 20,000 people that are around him teaching, and he's teaching them. He's tilling up the soil, and then he feeds them in that whole thing. By the way, already in the, all the texts of it, I would suggest we don't even know if any of them really came to Christ yet. Oh, but he keeps going on with it all because after that, he then is in Jerusalem and uh, he has uh, the woman uh, caught in adultery. Is that right? Yeah, the woman caught in adultery. And this is another opportunity that's going on with all of that. And then he heals the blind man who's blind from birth, and another opportunity. I gotta stop, because I'm running out of gas. Okay. Don't look at any one individual 
situation. Look at them all. Whether Jesus is in Galilee or in Jerusalem or back in Galilee, Galilee, back in Jerusalem, back, back, back in, what's Jesus doing? He's constantly tilling the soil of people's hearts and planting a seed. I've purposely, in this illustration, used these seeds, these potatoes, without any growth out of them yet. Because this is just planting. Just preparing the soil and planting. By the way, uh, Pastor Chris referenced it earlier. Who gives the growth? God does. By the way, we've tilled soil, we've planted seed. What happens next when you do that? You water it. Two weeks. You water the seed. We're talking stuff where we've just, we've just been engaged and involved in people's lives in all different kinds of shapes and fashions. The point of it is, is we're involved and then watering comes along. Oh, by the way, what happens with watering? Then some of the, after watering, then some of it begins to sprout. Maybe not all of it, but some of it does. Oh, what then happens as the plant begins to show some growth? I would say some further interest in it. Oh, weeds come along and weeds want to compete with it. And that's the Sunday after that, where we, we help people in pulling weeds. Oh, and then the harvesting doesn't come until later, until the plants all, want for you to understand when I talk about planting here, I am talking about the very beginning times of having conversations, of interacting with people and loving on people because Jesus did. And this is what's so hopeful. Oftentimes when you take a share your faith with Christ, uh, you know, share your faith class, it ends up getting to where you got to memorize this gigantic thing. Or you get all into the apologetics of it, where you've got to be able to argue this. I just listen as twenty guys and as twenty years of business and as a lay person in my own life. Can we just stop those conversations for a bit and just talk about planting? Let's start there. Let's just start there. So that's what's happening here. So it's out of that that I want to uh, share with you uh, four tools. Four tools for planting, all right? Four tools. We'll just touch on these. I'm trying to give you the basic ideas of these, but uh, uh, Doug, so how can we do this more? Four tools in this. Tool number one, gospel uh, moments intentionally paired. Two, gospel conversations intentionally aired. Gospel biographies intentionally bared. Am I getting way too rhymey? Wow, that's, this is like a pastoral uh, alliteration moment. Uh, gospel unveilings intentionally shared. Let's just take a couple minutes on each of these. Because, Doug, I want to have that and going on in my life. How? Four ways we can do that. Number one, gospel moments intentionally paired. We've already touched a number of these on Jesus, and let me just make mention of some of them. I'm talking, by the way, about gospel moments here. Gospel moments are moments that happen to us. They occur right before us. And, and it's kind of like a, a scenario happens, it takes place, and the question comes, what are we going to do with that? Like the wedding in Cana. Jesus didn't plan on that. 
that was just a scenario. That was a situation. There was a need on the table. And uh, that, that's what it was. Nicodemus, him coming to, Nicodemus coming to Jesus, Jesus didn't set up a, a time for them to get together. Nicodemus just showed up at night and Nicodemus came to him and then they had a conversation. Feeding the 5,000, while the whole group of them were there to hear his teaching, the whole dinner thing kind of was something that just came about as a result of them hanging around so long. Uh, I would say that the woman caught in adultery. Uh, Jesus wasn't aware that that was gonna be taking place. But it was kind of brought in and brought on the table. And the question really comes out is, is when time and moments of life happen, what do we do with them? What do we do with them? Well, let me just even step back from sharing your faith. As disciples of Christ, as followers of Christ, how should we be viewing life? Well, we should be viewing life through a God view of life. And that God view of life is the fact that God is intentionally involved in the affairs and the details of our life, Psalm 139. And in fact, he knows everything that's going to be said. He knows everything that's going to take place. And in all of that, we should be going forward in life, realizing as disciples of Christ, wow, God just brought something into my life. He apparently he's trying to do something in my life. That's how we should be thinking as disciples anyway. When it comes to sharing our faith, I suggest it's the exact same thing. God allows things to take place in life. And if we are gospel-oriented people, gospel-forward people, not only are we thinking, how is God a sovereign, loving God seeking to use this in my life, but we are also thinking about how is a sovereign, loving God putting this in front of me to be able to be an opportunity to be able to step into this opportunity. Hey, friends, uh, oftentimes people, uh, God's people are praying for opportunities to share their faith. This may be a little bit radical, but I mean this quite seriously. I think we need to pray less for opportunities and start seeing the ones that are before us. They are before us. I actually think our praying for opportunities becomes a, an excuse for us to not step into the opportunities that the Lord is putting before us because we're blind to them. And instead, we should be thinking about those moments and pairing them up. Life doesn't happen random. A sovereign God is sovereignly moving all of life, and that means all of life is an opportunity for me to grow and for me to pair it up in opportunities with others around the gospel. So a situation occurs. A person with questions shows up. A need arises. A challenging scenario is placed before you, just like with Jesus. And what are we going to do with it? Life shows up and it happens. You're driving down Rockville Road, the road from hell. <laughs> Sorry, it's third service. Uh, you're, you're driving down the road and it's like, man, I'm on my way to, it's Thursday, this is my routine. It's Thursday, I'm on my way to Five Guys because literally I, I do sermon prep for a few hours at Five Guys there on Thursday. I'm on my way to Five Guys on Thursdays and it's jammed up. Question, is this an opportunity to get irritated? Or is this an opportunity to love on? It's an, actually an opportunity to love on. And so you're coming along Menards and it's got three cars all stacked up the waiting to get in. 
I could go, I've been waiting. You need to wait some more. And so I'm going to cut in and cut you off. Or you could be like, you know what? The Bible says, love your enemy. <laughs> so so uh, I'm, grace, okay? I'm just, uh, it's a silly illustration, but how do we go about life? Moments pop up and all of these intertwine because it moves into the next one. Gospel tool, number two, gospel conversations intentionally aired. Not only when they kind of come along, but stepping into them. Take a look at John chapter four. I want for us to, to see this uh, very familiar sight of what takes place. John chapter four, the woman at the well. Verse three, he, Jesus, left Judea, that, that's over here, departed again for Galilee, uh, that's over here. And as he's headed up that way, Samaria is, is in the middle here. Samaritans and Jews didn't like each other. I would really say it this way, Jews hated Samaritans. It's kind of like, you know, the Colts and the Patriots <laughs> times 10, because it was real. And uh, so verse five, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied. By the way, you could pause on that and think about that because that's a fascinating theological statement. Second person from the Trinity on earth, God in the flesh, and he understands what it is to be weary fascinating. And as he, he was weary from his journey, so he's sitting beside the well. It was the sixth hour. Why do we care about that? Because it's noon, because it's hot. Time to be thirsty. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, I have English standard version. English standard version sometimes is so blocky, but give me a drink. Listen, listen, please, please, please don't bring in our issues today into the text. He is being kind in this. He's not demanding. He's not treating her like junk, okay? That's not what's going on here. It's not his well. He's in Samaria. And he's, can I have a drink? Is what's going on. By the way, she's not bothered by this. She's actually awed by this and loves this whole conversation. Verse eight, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, so they're not there. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's stunned by this, that, that he would ask her for a drink on this. The Jews didn't do that with her. And, and, and it's noon, by the way, and she's all by herself in it. Uh, the rest of the text tells more about what's going on. She's an outcast with her own people what would be an outcast in the reality of cultural norms. He is talking to this woman. Ladies, I am telling you, Jesus broke all cultural codes to love on women, rightly so. And that's what's happening here. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You kind of go, are you talking the same language here? Uh, I just cut to the chase. You read some of this and it's like, whoa, she's saying one thing, he's saying another, kind of. What's happening here? Jesus has this situation 
where he is thirsty, he comes, he's at a well, he asks a Samaritan woman who's all by herself there, which normally wouldn't have been the case, all by herself there to get the water, and he's engaging with her, and he wants to start up a spiritual conversation and find out if she's interested in wanting to interact with him. It's kind of like, you want to have a spiritual conversation together for a minute? That's what he's doing here. Verse 11, the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Like, yeah, I'm interested in a conversation. Verse 12, are you greater than your, our father Jacob? She's saying he gave us the well and drank from it himself and di as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, and Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that will give him uh, will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have uh, to come here to draw water. Jesus is engaging with her, finding out, you want to have a conversation? And she's like, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious what you're talking about, even if I don't know what you're talking about. They have more conversation. Go down to verse 27. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? Instant judgment. It's really sad. Verse 28. So the woman left her water jar, went away into town and said to the people, this guy's a loser. No, it doesn't say that. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Friends, th this whole conversation, Jesus is weary and thirsty. A Samaritan woman is here at Jacob's well. He breaks cultural codes to the T, especially being a rabbi and having a conversation with a Samaritan woman. But he's willing to have it. Why? Because she's created in the image of God just like everyone else. And he is interested in having a conversation with her if she's wanting to have with him. And so he engages with her around a well about water. And, and they begin to have this. And there's discourse. You follow the whole thing going. There's discourse in what's taking place. Jesus doesn't shame her in it, even when he says, haven't you been like married a thousand times or whatever, whatever it is? And Jesus isn't shaming her. He's continuing to try and draw. Listen, he is loving on her. Someone who is an outcast, someone who has tragedy in her past, and he's willing to engage and love on her and have a spiritual conversation. And I just ask, how about that in us? How about that in us? People who are willing to have conversations to where even people without Christ are enjoying the opportunity to have a conversation with us about it. He is intentionally loving on his gospel field everywhere he goes. Gospel planning tool number three. Gospel biographies intentionally bared. You can turn to Mark chapter five. I'll just summarize it because of time. Mark chapter 4, Jesus gives a, a sermon about the four soils. Some things take place. They cross the Sea of Galilee in the boat in the middle of the night. Mark chapter 4, probably one of my top three chapters of the Bible for sure. Sea of Galilee crossing and, and this whole storm thing. The disciples say to Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? 
And Jesus then in the conversation, as he silences the whole thing, Jesus has a conversation with the disciples that says, guys, where is your faith, by the way, which is tied to what he taught earlier that day? And then they come to the other side, and we get to John chapter, or Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, he's on the other side, and all of a sudden, you would think, by the way, Jesus is asleep in the boat. Why? Because he's uh, dead dog ministry tired, like I'll be this afternoon. And he's in the boat asleep on it when all this happens. You would think he gets to the other side. It's like, can we check into a hotel so I can have some sleep? Instead, they meet a demon-possessed man on the other side. It's like action goes again. Long story short. Uh, Jesus, in this whole interaction, casts out this legion of demons from this man. Remember, cast them into the pigs. They all go off the cliff. Oink, oink, oink. Ah, down off the cliff. And then out of that, people are so afraid of Jesus that they even want him to depart. But the demon-possessed, the formerly demon-possessed man, comes to Jesus and says, can I follow you? And Jesus says, no. He said, instead... Go home and tell your family how the Lord has had mercy on you. Friends, gospel biographies, your story of coming to Christ and knowing Christ is one of your most powerful tools that you have in your planting the gospel toolbox. Oh, but Doug, I don't have a very exciting story. Doug, you know, I don't have a story about how I was a drug dealer or how this or that and all of that. No, no, then you're misunderstanding something. Because Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 tells us that every story of a person coming to Christ is a huge story. I came to Christ when I was seven years old nothing dramatic. Sunday school class. John 3.16, the teacher was talking about. One time, the only time we were at this church, John 3.16, she was sharing, for some reason, that verse hit me that Sunday. I'm a sinner separated from God. At seven years old, I just knew that was a bad thing. And I remember standing between the drinking fountain and the bathroom door, waiting waiting for my parents to come out of their Sunday school class. And in my terms nowadays, I drove the stake in the ground right there. In my seven-year-old mind, in my seven-year-old words. Lord, I want to be saved. And my journey began there. Listen, you may go, that's not a big story. No, that's a crazy big story. And our biographies are important tools to be able to be ready to be used with anyone at any time. Listen, you should be able to have a 90-second version of your, of your gospel uh, biography. You should be able to have a 15-minute version of it. You should be able to insert parts of it in conversations whenever you can, however you can. Man, God's done a work in my life this last week. God's done a work over the last couple of years in my life. Bring them in, friends. Bring them in. People need to hear you bear your soul. Because they need to hear the good news and how it relates to people. You can later, Acts chapter 26, the apostle Paul is before King Agrippa, and he says, King Agrippa, can I essentially, can can I address the the room? 
And King Agrippa says, you may. Uh, Paul's under prisoner at the time. And, and he puts his hands out and he tells his story, his biography. It has three chapters to it. Uh, uh, before Christ, when he came to Christ, after Christ. That's what your and my biography should be. Before Christ, coming to Christ, after Christ. And he tells it. You can read it through. It's exactly that format. And they are powerful, friends. And people need to hear your story because people need to hear the gospel. And then lastly, and I'll finish with this, gospel unveilings intentionally shared. I wasn't going to include this in here at this one because it really has more to do with later in the series when we talk about disciples make by harvesting. But this is really the time I'm mentioning here. This is the time when you have the opportunity to share the gospel. I'll say it this way. 90% of ministry is the prior. This is, this is when it comes to the place of being able to sit down with someone and, and share with them uh, what the gospel is. And again, you can do that in three minutes. You can do that in 30 minutes. You can do that in three hours. You can do that. It may be over three years. It may be over 30 years of loving on people and helping them to see the unveiling. Ta-da! This is what the gospel is all about. Romans 10, 14, how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone proclaiming? How are they to proclaim unless they are sent? Pair that with 2 Corinthians 5, 20, we are God's ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Friends, this is the same story for us. I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but it's not random. It's an opportunity to just do some preparing. It may even be an opportunity to do some planting. I'm not even saying sitting down and sharing them the gospel, but just love on them. But what else is going on? Opportunity and opportunity. And we should be having potatoes lying behind us all over the place if we're thinking in that manner. Okay? So, gospel moments intentionally paired. Gospel conversations intentionally aired. Gospel biographies intentionally bared. Gospel unveilings intentionally shared. By the way, next Sunday, bring a friend. Pastor Nate is going to be taking us to Luke 15. Prodigal son. Pastor Nate's going to be sharing his biography. It is an amazing opportunity to bring someone for one more planting opportunity in their life. Let's grab a hold of it. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness in our lives. We... Uh, we adore you, we praise you, we, we thank you for who you are and for what you are doing. And Lord, as, as people who uh, love you and as people who have been uh, redeemed by you, God, I, I just pray that you would be doing a work in our lives, that, that we would be more aware, more in tune, uh, more interested in being able just to take those moments to start doing some planting. So God, help us. Just loving on people. 
Having God talks with our children, God talks with each other, God talks with others just about what's going on. God, there are so many opportunities before us. I fear we are just not pairing them up with the gospel. Help us to start there. May we start there for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.